0: The Baltimore Orioles have had some very exciting and very important series wins throughout this season. But between the performances of Felix Bautista and Cedric Mullins this weekend, this series win may have topped them all. I'll recap it coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, August 14th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap an enormous Series win for the Orioles in Seattle this weekend as they went on the road and took two out of three from the Mariners. I'll recap both the wins on Saturday and Sunday, both in extra innings, getting you the five things you need to know from both of those games and highlighting awesome performances from Felix Bautista and maybe the game of his life for Cedric Mullins. Then we'll run through some roster moves the Orioles made over the weekend. Bringing back Cedric Mullins, but along with Nick Vespi as well, and then saying goodbye to one of their veteran relievers. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So we jump right into it today. A series win for the Orioles over the Seattle Mariners, taking two out of three from the M's on the road this weekend. Now, it didn't start out too well. Orioles lost the Friday night game 9-2, but they came back with a vengeance, winning 1-0 in 10 innings on Saturday night and winning an absolute thriller, 5-3 in 10 innings on Sunday to take two out of three and take the series win and clinch the season series, winning four out of six against Seattle this year. With the two wins, the Orioles on the season, now 73 and 45. The Rays also took two out of three this weekend, won the first two against the Cleveland Guardians, but got crushed on Sunday. So the Orioles coming out of the weekend, they remain three games ahead of the Rays in division standings. Now I will say Cleveland had a chance to sweep Tampa this weekend, and really should have won the Saturday game. Cleveland went into the bottom of the ninth, up 5-3, to three, and had their all-star closer Emmanuel Classe on the mound. And he gave up three runs and lost the game. That was disappointing. But the Orioles stay three games ahead of the Rays. So we're not going to talk much about the 9-2 to loss on Friday because, listen, Kyle Gibson got hit around. The Orioles' offense didn't do much. And, frankly, there wasn't much great to talk about. So let's jump right to Saturday. With the Orioles down 1-0 in the series, sending Cole Irvin to the mound, rejoining the rotation. And it's Felix Hernandez night at T-Mobile Park in Seattle, being inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame. A lot of good vibes around Seattle that night. But the Orioles win the game 1-0 in 10 innings, and I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from that victory. And the first thing you need to know is Felix Bautista. Was the better Felix, and maybe the real King Felix, on Saturday night for the Orioles. Despite all of the glitz and glamour around Felix Hernandez, Orioles legend, whom I loved as a player throughout his time in Seattle, it was Felix Bautista's night. Came in in the bottom of the ninth, made quick work of the Mariners in a 0-0 game to send the game to extras. Orioles take the lead, one nothing in the top of the tenth, and Bautista goes out there with the zombie runner on second With a chance to win the game, and he just goes to work. Filthy strikeout to start the inning. I mean, he basically just bared down, and it was some of the best work he's done all season. Filthy strikeout of Josh Rojas, 102 at the knees. Incredible changeup, striking out Julio Rodriguez, who whiffs on one at the knees. And then maybe an even better splitter to Eugenio Suarez, who chases one that started at the knees, darts into the dirt for a swing and a miss. Three swinging strikeouts for Bautista in the outing. Who goes two innings in this one scoreless. One hit, four Ks, and no walks on 28 pitches. He was just ridiculous. And yes, it did make him unavailable for Sunday. And we'll get to what the O's tried to do there. But the Mariners swung at five of the eight splitters that he threw in that outing. They swung and missed at all five. They did not make contact on the splitter on Saturday night. It was just ridiculous to see what he's done. Great stat from Nathan Ruiz, of the Baltimore Sun, on Saturday night. Felix Bautista has now, I believe it was seven times or eight times, I believe, that he has gone two innings this season. Hasn't allowed a run since he's done it. Unbelievable stuff from Felix Bautista. And hey, with all the weirdo Mariners fans booing him as he came to the mound and mad about him being called King Felix, which... Orioles fans don't even do, it was just one joke made by Orioles Twitter, it was pretty satisfying to see him do that to them on Felix Hernandez's night. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Ryan Mountcastle just stayed hot in a huge spot in this game, the only run that was scored for either team was driven in by Ryan Mountcastle who went two for four in this one with a couple of singles, but the big one came in the 10th inning off of Andres Munoz where the runner on third and one out Mountcastle destroys a single 110 off the bat up the middle to score Cedric Mullins and give the Orioles a one nothing lead. That was the only run and Mountcastle did it again. He also had a two hit day on Sunday coming up with a couple of infield singles as well. Mountcastle, for the longest time on Saturday, had the only hit for the Orioles' offense. It was a two-out single, or a second-inning single, I should say, off of George Kirby, who was just incredible. Mountcastle, if you add, he didn't have a hit Friday in the loss, but he did have two walks in that one. He was, you know, one of only two Orioles to reach base twice in the loss on Friday. And you're looking at Ryan Mountcastle at this point, and you're going, you know, what is going on here? I mean, he was hitting 459 in August after the Saturday win. And if you include the two infield hits that he had on Sunday, helping the Orioles get the win there, that we'll talk about Ryan Mountcastle right now. And and listen, he's been amazing. Almost hitting 450 since he returned off the injured list from vertigo the day before the all-star break. But not only has he been good the entire time since returning, he's seemingly getting even better. At the plate, because now in the month of August, Mountcastle's hitting 463 in the month of August. Third thing you need to know from the one nothing extra innings win on Saturday is that well, there was really nothing else for the Orioles offense besides that Ryan Mountcastle RBI single. George Kirby was ridiculous, starting the game for the Mariners in this one, going nine shutout innings with seven strikeouts, no walks. He allowed just three hits in this game. Orioles only had four hits as a team. They got three in nine innings against Kirby, had just five hard hit balls against him. George Kirby is the truth. He's one of the best young pitchers in all of baseball right now, and he certainly showed it off on Saturday. The Orioles just had no business against him in those nine innings. It was fun to watch. But what I will say is Cole Irvin matched him for five innings on Saturday. Irvin, who has been in the Orioles' bullpen for about a month now, but the O's deciding to go to a six-man rotation starting this weekend, and they inserted Irvin as that sixth pitcher. And although he wasn't fully built up yet, so there was certainly a ceiling on how deep he could have pitched into Saturday's game, he did about everything he could have done in that one on Saturday. Five scoreless innings with six strikeouts and one walk, allowing just two hits He only threw 67 pitches because, again, he wasn't really built up to go more than 70 or so, but only three hard hit balls against him. He was getting some swings and misses that we haven't really seen from Cole Irvin this year, 11 whiffs. It was the fastballs that were really doing the trick. The four-seamer and the cutter were just really, really good in this one for Cole Irvin. I was very impressed. He looked like, now not fully because, you know, he's only allowed to go five innings and 67 pitches, but he looked like the pitcher that really frustrated hitters at times in his last two solid seasons with the A's before the O's acquired him in that trade this offseason. He's going to be built up more, which means if he's pitching like this moving forward, he'll do it for six innings, seven innings, maybe more. That would be gigantic for this Orioles rotation and Orioles bullpen, honestly, as well. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 1-0 win on Saturday is don't sleep on, you know, the rest of the Orioles' bullpen. Yes, Felix Bautista was downright incredible, but everybody else that went out there kept the O's in the game and kept it scoreless. Mike Bauman came out in the sixth. Yes, he did allow two base runners with a hit and a walk, but put up a zero. Jacob Webb, who was the Orioles' newfound relief ace, apparently, two-thirds of an inning scoreless. Then CNL Perez came in, got a huge out in the seventh to keep it 0-0. Yenier Cano did give up two base runners in the eighth inning. However, he was able to get out of the jam and keep it 0-0. And then they turned it over to Bautista. After what was a really rough week for the Orioles' bullpen, Saturday looked a whole lot better. And Bautista locks it down for the 1-0 win in extras to even up the series. So that set up a rubber match on Sunday. And it was another good pitching duel, but probably the only one of the weekend where you felt like the Orioles had the leg up with Kyle Bradish. Bradish pitched well, Cedric Mullins was a hero, and the Orioles were able to get that series win on Sunday. But I'll tell you how they did it coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Game Time this point I love game time because it is the spot where I get a lot of my Orioles tickets buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful and game time well it's the fast and easy way to buy all the tickets for all the events you want to go to including the Baltimore Orioles they've got killer last minute deals on tickets right before the game I mean they've got these flash deals at game time where it could be 30 minutes before first pitch you could be standing outside Utah Street you could buy the tickets with a flash deal They can be sent to your phone in seconds right on the app, and you can walk into the ballpark, get it scanned, go in there, have a great time at Oriole Park. And you always get the best price with the Game Time Guarantee. If you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So the Orioles were able to win the series over the Mariners this weekend, losing Game 1 on Friday, but coming back to win it 1-0 in 10 innings on Saturday, and they set up that rubber match on Sunday. Didn't have Felix Bautista after 28 pitches and two innings on Saturday. But of course it had to go to extra innings, didn't it? But the Orioles prevailed with a 5-3 win in 10 to take the series. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' win on Sunday. And the first thing you need to know is Cedric Mullins maybe had the game of his life in an Oriole uniform. And he didn't enter the game until the sixth inning. And oh yeah, I'm including the game earlier this year in which he hit for the cycle in an Orioles win. But he impacted this game in such a way that this will be remembered, as Kevin Brown said at the end of the broadcast, as the Cedric Mullins game. Let's start with, hey, he comes into the game in the sixth inning. Defensive replacement for Ryan O'Hearn. Austin Hayes, who started in center, moves to left. Mullins gets in there in center after he had come back from his injury this weekend. Started in center the first two games, but was on the bench for Sunday, and then comes in there. And you don't hear from him too, too much until the ninth inning. With Felix Bautista unavailable, the Orioles leading 3-2 after scoring a run in the top of the ninth, they turn it over to Mike Bauman. Now, it was a little surprising they didn't go to Shintaro Fujinami for the save, but honestly, I wasn't super surprised they went to Mike Bauman. Bauman gets a pop-out. Of the first batter, Teoscar Hernandez. And then Ty France hits a ball a long way to center field. Off the bat of France, 103. Looks like it's going to be a homer. Cedric Mullins tracking back to right center field. And he makes an incredible leaping catch, glove over the wall to take away a home run for the second out of the inning. Just an unbelievable catch by Mullins. Media asked him after the game, and he said, that's definitely in my top three defensive plays ever and maybe number one. He was fired up. The team was fired up. What a freaking moment. What a play by Cedric Mullins. That is why he's so important to have back in this lineup and to have him healthy. But then something I don't think I've ever seen happened. So now there's two outs, and Dominic Canzone's coming up. Bauman first pitch outside fastball for ball one. You know, there's two outs. Nobody on base just needs one more out for his first career save. And then he throws a 97-mile-per-hour fastball right down the middle. And Canzone absolutely unloads a no-doubter. 109 off the bat, 402 feet to right field to tie the game. I do not remember a bigger swing of emotions as an Orioles fan, at least this season, than those three pitches. It went Cedric Mullins' homer robbery keeps him in the lead ball one home run to tie the game I could not believe it and Nick Vespi comes in gets a ground out from Sam Haggerty to send the game to extras so you're thinking okay what can they do now well Cedric Mullins is due to come up in that 10th inning and after an Anthony Santander ground out pushed Gunnar Henderson to third the zombie runner with one away Mullins roped a pitch down the right field line and it looked like it was a homer and then it went foul by about six inches and you're thinking that was the chance to take the lead. Wait, maybe it wasn't. Because then Mullins gets another 96-mile-per-hour fastball in the middle of the plate from Trent Thornton, and this one he hammers into right field stands, but fair. A two-run homer for Mullins, his first since coming off the IL, his first hit on the weekend since coming off the IL, 100 off the bat, 364 feet, to give the Orioles a 5-3 lead. Has anybody else had a more impactful back-to-back half innings in baseball history than Mullins had right there? I mean, it was insane. And he gives the O's the lead. Just incredible, incredible stuff from Cedric Mullins. You absolutely cannot escape him. Second thing you need to know from the O's 5-3 win in 10 innings on Saturday is that it was an amazing bounce-back performance from Shintaro Fujinami, who at this point I think we can just expect a pattern from Fuji. It'll be great outing, bad outing. Great outing, bad outing. You think back to last Sunday against the Mets. Maybe the best one-inning outing we've seen from any Orioles pitcher this year. Came one pitch away from an immaculate inning, went 1-2-3 with two strikeouts, throwing one 3 Then, fast forward to Wednesday night. As um, he looked, I'll say, a little different against the Astros. Got two outs, then walked three batters in a row, and all of them scored as inherited runners. Then come back to Sunday, with the Orioles leading 5-3, going into the bottom of the 10th. The only three pitchers in the bullpen were Felix Bautista, 28 pitches Saturday, not available. Jacob Webb, who was warming earlier in the game, but had thrown back-to-back days. And we know Brandon Hyde really doesn't like to throw relievers three days in a row. So your option was Fujinami. And what does he do? Come up with his first career save, in either MLB or NPB in Japan. That's how big of a moment it was for Shintaro Fujinami. Now he wasn't facing the tippy top of the order, but he goes 3 and 0 to Dylan Moore to start the inning with the zombie runner on second and a two-run lead. James McCann goes out there, settles him down, and what does he do? Blows three straight fastballs by Moore for the strikeout. Gets Mike Ford to fly out. And then on a 101.2 mile per hour fastball, gets Julio Rodriguez to ground out to short to end the game. No walks, retires all three batters he faces, gets his first career save. It's still going to be a roller coaster ride for Fuji and his Orioles bullpen down the stretch, but it's nice to note at the very least, he can have outings like this too, where he locks down an Orioles win and a series win. Third thing you need to know from this one. Kyle Bradish was great again. It's kind of going to get lost in this game because of all the heroics, all the craziness that happened in the final few innings. But Bradish just continued what has been an amazing last couple of months for him in an Orioles uniform. Just has continued to be really the Orioles' ace at this point. Six innings, two runs on five hits with seven Ks and a walk, no home runs allowed. And he just was able to roll through that Mariner's order. And Bradish now has a 2.65 ERA in his last 17 starts. Hat tip to Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun for that one. It's just really good stuff. I mean, he gives up a run in the third, gives up a run in the fifth. And that was really all she wrote for Kyle Bradish. 15 whiffs for him, 9 whiffs on 16 swings on the slider. I just trust him so much. Every time he goes out there to start for the Orioles, I trust him a lot. And he showed it off again on Sunday. Fourth thing you need to know from this one. James McCann's just swinging a super hot bat right now. And, and yeah, he's not going to play every day, but McCann gets the start behind the dish on Sunday with the day game after a night game on Sunday. Adley was DHing in the leadoff spot and McCann's just hitting right now. And the Os are catching lightning in a bottle a little bit with James McCann who was hitting under 200 for most of the year. But he goes 1 for 2 with a single and two walks in this game and a run scored, now up to hitting 236 on the season. McCann now hitting 529 with an OPS over 1,300 in the month of August. He's going to cool off again at some point, but this is incredible what we're seeing from James McCann at the plate, and he's still been great defensively behind the dish. Just night and day from what the O's got from Robinson Torinos as their backup catcher for Adley last year. And it's just those little things like James McCann hitting right now that are helping this O's team play so well. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 5 3 win in 10 innings on Sunday is we saw really the reason why Jorge Mateo is still on this Orioles roster. Despite the 209 average, despite the sub 600 OPS, despite the defense not being elite anymore, still good, but not elite, despite all the strikeouts, he can flat out run. And after Jordan Westberg doubled with one out in the top of the ninth inning in a 2 2 game. The Orioles went to Jorge Mateo as a pinch runner. You might be thinking, Jordan Westberg's pretty fast and has been swinging it well. Why are you taking him out of the game for a pinch runner? I understand, you know, if Ryan O'Hearn or, you know, Ramon Arias or James McCann is on base. Like, yeah, get Mateo in there. But Jordan Westberg, really? And I was thinking that a little bit, but Brad Brock made a good point. He said, remember last night when Cedric Mullins against Andres Munoz, who was the pitcher, stole third base because Munoz wasn't really paying attention. And the thing is, okay, with one out, Mateo could go get you third base, just like Mullins did. And while he didn't steal the bag, Munoz was certainly worried about Mateo because he ended up balking, which allowed Mateo to go to third and James McCann to go to second after a walk with just one away. And then Adley Rutschman at the plate hits a little dribbler, not right back at the pitcher. It was kind of up the first baseline, but Munoz came off the mound and fielded it quickly. I thought... When the camera kind of zoomed in on Munoz fielding it, I thought, okay, he's going to look Mateo back to third, throw to first for the second out, and it's going to be an unproductive A.B. from Rutchman. But you know Jorge Mateo. He's going on contact, and somehow, some way, on just a little dribbler off the bat of Rutchman that traveled eight feet, basically. I mean, not really eight feet, but it was eight feet before it hit the ground. Something that just dribbled out there, really, towards the pitcher. Somehow, Jorge Mateo dives in there safely ahead of the throw. It was an unbelievable slide to just get his hand in there before the tag and give the Orioles the lead in the ninth. And I get it, right? The bat's not there. The defense is down. But that elite speed could be huge. And there could be a spot just like that in a playoff game where you could put in Jorge Mateo. And if anybody else is at third base, the Orioles do not take the lead in the top of the ninth, and they may lose that game on a walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth inning. Whether or not you agree with it, and I'm not sure I still do, that is why Jorge Mateo is on this roster, and he played a huge part in the Orioles winning the game on Sunday and winning this series over the Mariners, taking two out of three. But the roster that did win this series for the O's did look a little different as they made a couple of roster moves on Friday. And also, we got some other roster updates over the weekend. So to finish out the pod, I'm just going to run through those coming up next. So the Orioles take two out of three from the Seattle Mariners over the weekend to win the series. But they are staying right here on the West Coast. No days off here, at least for now, in this nine-game West Coast trip. And they are right back to it coming up tonight against the San Diego Padres and their old friends, Manny Machado and Ryan Flaherty, who is still a coach on the Padres staff. This Padres team, I don't know what's going on there. They just lost two of three. In Arizona, they're now fifty-six and sixty-two on the season. They're five and a half games out of the NL NO Wild Card right now, which isn't super strong. Just been a disaster season for the Padres. Not as much of a da- disaster as the Mets. Like the Padres are still in it, but it has not been good. Well, tonight, more late baseball. So make sure you take a nap during the day if you're trying to stay up for this one. A nine forty p.m. Eastern Time start tonight for Game One of three between the Orioles and the Padres. Grayson Rodriguez. We'll take the hill for the Orioles in this one, trying to continue to pitch well since being recalled in an Orioles uniform. And he's going to go against a veteran ace. Yu Darvish is going to get the ball for the Padres in Game 1. Hasn't been vintage Yu Darvish this year, but it's still been pretty good at age 37 and it should be a fun pitching matchup in Game 1 tonight. And you can catch every single pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of that one on the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. But before we get to game one between the Padres and the O's, we want to get to a couple of roster moves that were made over the weekend to update you here on a Monday pod. And we'll start with the big Friday move, which of course paid off hugely in the Orioles win on Sunday that we just talked about. Cedric Mullins was activated off the IL with that groin issue that put him on the injured list for about a month for the second time this season. But Mullins played a couple of rehab games in AA and AAA last week and then he came off the IL on Friday. As expected, as I talked about last week, Ryan McKenna was sent down to AAA Norfolk to make room for Mullins. Mullins hit fifth in the order, played center field on Friday, had an offer. Then he hit second in the order on Saturday, also had an offer in that one as Gunnar Henderson got the day off. Then, as I mentioned, he was not in the starting lineup Sunday, entered as a defensive replacement in the sixth, and had the game of his life in that ninth and tenth inning to help the Orioles with the win. Now, the O's outfield could be getting even more reinforcements this week as Aaron Hicks went and played two rehab games in AAA Norfolk this weekend, one game in left field, one game as the DH. He went one for eight in the two games. But it seems like he's healthy enough right now to rejoin the O's. And while the McKenna move was very easy for Mullins, this Hicks move is going to be a lot tougher. He could be back even today. It seems like, at the very least, at some point during this Padres series this week, Aaron Hicks is going to be activated off the IL, and the O's are going to have a really, really tough spot and tough decision here on this roster move. I mean, I essentially feel like they have three choices right here. Unless some injury pops up to a hitter that we don't know about, they have three choices. Choice number one is Demote Colton Cowser. You know, he's been looking a little better lately, but he didn't play much this weekend, and, you know, he's still hitting just above 100 it could be a good time to maybe get a reset for Kowser. And then maybe you bring him back up on September 1st, you know, just a couple of weeks away, when the rosters expand from 26 to 28, you get Kowser as your extra hitter, and maybe some time dominating AAA over the next few weeks will work out. Choice number two is DFAing Jorge Mateo. It's something we've called on here for a couple of weeks, and a lot of people have called on, but after what we saw Sunday, after what we're seeing, his role being. I just don't see the Orioles doing that. I'd be okay with that move. I just don't see them doing it. And the third one would be bringing up Hicks and demoting a pitcher, like sending potentially Nick Vespi back down to AAA. Now, if the Orioles were going with still a five-man rotation, I I would actually predict the O's would do that, and they would go with 14 hitters and 12 pitchers for a little bit and kind of still figure things out with Kowser and Hicks and others. But because they've gone to a six-man rotation now, they only have a seven-man bullpen, one shorter than the usual eight-man bullpen. Right now, you are not going to demote another pitcher and try to survive with a six-man bullpen. That is just not going to happen. So I really, really don't see the O's demoting a pitcher. So it's going to be either Kowser or Mateo. My guess would be Kowser at this point. And then, you know, there's no guarantee like Hicks stays with this team the rest of the year, but I think the O's like him enough and like what he's brought enough to at least give him another shot coming off this lower body injury. Now, Nick Vespi, as I just mentioned, the reason why he maybe could be potentially the pitcher they would send down, although they don't think they'll do it, because he was recalled on Friday. Actually, replaced Joey Crable on the roster. Vespi recalled. Crable optioned to AAA Norfolk. The Orioles basically just wanted slash needed a second left-hander in the bullpen after Danny Coulomb went on the IL and Irvin was moved from the bullpen to the rotation as the sixth guy in there. Cnl Perez was left as the only left-handed reliever in the pen. Although Cnl had a great weekend, retired the only batter to keep it 0-0 on Saturday. Had a huge 1-2-3 inning to keep the game tied in the seventh on Sunday. He's been great lately for the Orioles. By the way, looking a lot more like 2022 Cnl Perez. But he was the only lefty out there, so the O's go with Nick Vespi, and Vespi pitched well, inning and two-thirds scoreless on Friday. Got the final out of the ninth inning on Sunday to send the game to extras. And we'll see if he can kind of stick in the bullpen, at least until Danny Coulomb returns for the O's. And then the final bullpen news was Michael Givens was activated off the injured list Sunday and immediately designated for assignment. This is what I figured the Orioles would do. They were basically coming up here on the 30 days of his rehab assignment ending. So they had to make a decision. He doesn't have options. So you either put him on the roster or you DFA him and it's just been rough. I mean, in his six appearances in the big leagues this year, you know, kind of between the injuries, it was four innings, five runs, four hits, six walks, a hit batter and two Ks, like not good. And he was really bad in rehab. I mean, just in Triple-A rehab this year, 7.27 ERA. Not good. He just gave up three runs in an inning in his last appearance. The, the velocity was like 89-90 with the fastball. It was a knee injury, then it was a shoulder injury. He's basically cooked at this point. I think the O's made the right decision. Just there's no way Michael Givens was going to help your bullpen. So they designate him for assignment. And then the final personnel slash roster move the O's made this weekend. Well, you may have noticed, as I talked about last week, Kevin Brown was back. Made his return to the broadcast on Friday night. Called all three games on Masson this weekend. And as most of us expected, he did not address the situation at all. At least on the air in the broadcast open on Friday or at any time throughout the three games. Now, he did address it Friday afternoon, sent out a series of four tweets. If you haven't read them yet, go to Kevin Brown's Twitter account and check them out. I mean, people were excited. I was very excited to have him back. He had some amazing calls this weekend, just at the especially at the end of the win, Saturday and Sunday. But, I mean, this thing feels like it's not over. If you read that Twitter thread, those statements by Brown on Friday, I mean... I wish I was naive enough to think Kevin Brown wrote those. Those were clearly written by Orioles PR, probably by Greg Bader, considering the fact that Greg Bader was name-dropped. 95% of people don't know who Greg Bader is. He's like the senior vice president of the Orioles. Of course, if he's name-dropped, he's one of—he's really John Angelos' number one henchman. Of course, he's going to name-drop himself in there. But Michael Kay of Yes Network said it best. I mean, that read like a hostage statement. I mean, it truly read, it was weird. It read like a hostage statement. I mean, Kevin Brown's in a really weird spot. Dan Connolly wrote about this last week about how weird of a spot he's in right now. You know, he's got a family. He's got a house in Baltimore. You know, he clearly loves it here, clearly wants to call games for these first place Orioles, wants to keep this job, and knows if he does anything but what the Orioles ask him for the rest of the year, they're going to fire him. And there's still a chance they would even move on from him this offseason. So if he wants this job, I get it. He's got to basically... Please the bosses but when the bosses are that insane and that horrible like John Angelos it's a really tough spot he's in I get what he did again he did not write that statement I think we all know that but it'll be interesting to follow this along hopefully at least for the rest of the season nothing else comes up we get some great Kevin Brown moments he calls an Orioles pennant chase and then in the off season, we revisit the future of him with the Orioles hopefully he stays but again wouldn't blame him at all if he doesn't call more O's games after this season But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Huge, huge Orioles series win this weekend over the Mariners. Now, got a couple of things coming up this week on the podcast. Just wanted to kind of address them here before we go here on a Monday episode. I've talked about it before. I do work a nine-to-five job outside of hosting this pod, which means West Coast games during the week are really tough for me and this podcast. I am going to do the best I can to have an episode up as early in the morning as it usually is with a recap of the previous night's West Coast game, but there is no guarantee that will happen. There is a chance that during this three-game series this week against the Padres, there may be some episodes that come out that do not include a recap of the previous night's game because I just can't stay up this late while having to get up in the morning. Just wanted to address that now. So if you tune in tomorrow, you know, I haven't quite made the decision yet on what tomorrow is going to look like. There could potentially be an early episode that doesn't include the game recap. There could also be an episode that comes out later on Tuesday, maybe like late morning, early afternoon, but it does include the recap. Just play it by ear. Look for updates at Locked on Orioles on Twitter. Again, these West Coast midweek games are tough for me, but I will do the best that I can. And also on tomorrow's episode, do know we'll announce the giveaway here for getting to 4000 subscribers on YouTube, so make sure to subscribe to Locked on Orioles on YouTube to be entered for that giveaway but that'll do it for today's episode again i'll be back tomorrow with no matter what some orioles content until then i'm connor newcomb and this has been the locked on orioles podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day